This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. This is your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm privileged with talking to one of my productivity heroes, David Sparks, Mac Sparky. He's a full-time lawyer and yet somehow finds the time to also have a life, co-host the Mac Power Users podcast, and blog about Macs and productivity over at MacSparky.com. David and I talk about his new book from his Mac Sparky Field Guides series called Email. We talk about why he published it on the iBooks platform, talk a bit about the email problem, publishing on the iBooks platform versus the Kindle platform, and a quick tangent about the iPad mini with Retina versus the iPad Air. A quick note, there were some Skype issues early during the call where it seems as if he and I are kind of talking over each other. But that was really just due to Skype having issues. He and I weren't trying to, you know, cut each other off. It's just there was a bit of a hard time with each of us hearing each other back and forth. But we fixed that issue. And I just wanted to make sure to note that, though, because it almost, in listening back to it, sounded like he and I were arguing over each other's voices. And it was definitely not the case. Before we get into the conversation, just wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Audiobooks.com. As a listener of Beyond the To-Do List, you can go to Audiobooks.com slash to-do and get your first audiobook free. What's awesome about Audiobooks.com is they've got over 40,000 audiobook titles from bestsellers and new releases to classic favorites. And what's great is if you download the Audiobooks.com app to your Apple or Android device, you can listen offline or stream to those devices instantly or go back and forth between the desktop and the app experience, never losing your place in your book. Again, if you sign up today, you get any audiobook for free. And if you become a member, you get one audiobook per month plus 33% off each additional title. Another cool feature of Audiobooks.com is that you can preview as many books as you like, even before you sign up. Thanks to audiobooks.com for supporting Beyond the To-Do List. Make sure to take advantage of their offer by going to audiobooks.com slash to-do to get your first audiobook for free. Well, this week, my guest is Max Sparky. It's David Sparks. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, I think people can probably deduce from the username that you use pretty commonly, Mac Sparky, that you are a Mac person. Is that correct? Yeah, they had me uh, back in 1980-whatever. I guess it was 84. <laughs> I started using a Mac. So, Do you consider yourself uh, a fanboy? Um, not really. Not really. I mean, if you listen to our podcast, I, I'll take Apple on if I think they're making mistakes, like failing to put up a better 
cloud services or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I also am an enthusiast. I do like the stuff they make because I'm all about getting my work done. And, and I found in, over the years that the Apple ecosystem allows me to do that. Some people say, well, I'm a Mac fanboy, but uh, I tell them, no, I just use what I've found works best for me. Yeah. yeah. And no, if something else works best no for kidding. you, if, do that. And, and if Apple started to you know, take their eye off the ball and somebody else came up with something better, then I would not hesitate. At what point did you get interested in productivity? Like, were you aware that it exists, this whole you know, field of people talking about it, working on it, doing stuff with it? When did you become aware of that? When did you get tied into that? This is my 20th year of practicing law um, this month, and it was very shortly after I started that I realized I I was out of my league because there was just so much going on. And this is even before email was a thing. And I needed a way to track. I had a million thoughts going in my head, and I would go home at night and lay in bed and look at the ceiling. I'll never forget it. For like the first year of practice, the ceiling of my apartment was what I saw every night because there was just so much going on. I was so worried I was going to blow something and, you know, do it wrong or, you know, and these are people's lives I'm trying to help. And, and, uh, I would wake up and start writing things down and that kind of just evolved for me. I mean, even going back before that, I've always been a list guy, but it was always manageable. When I was in, in law school, I, I would have a, my list was a napkin every day. I'd, in the morning, I'd wake up, I'd have a cup of tea. I'd write down a few things on a napkin and I'd stick it in my pocket. And as I went through the day, I'd open, pull out the napkin and I'd check it off. And at night I would use it with my dinner and throw it away. And it was a great system. But my life was a lot simpler. Then I get practicing law, and all of a sudden, just like stuff is coming at me from every direction. And and you know, I did litigation, a lot of litigation in those days. So there's all these deadlines, and you know, every day you are walking through a minefield of potential mistakes, you know, devastating mistakes. So I had I had to get organized. And lawyers, frankly, aren't that organized. I, I don't know how they do it. You know, so many of them don't really have a plan or a system. So I started studying, and I think I'm rambling on. No, I, I, what I hear you saying is you basically you realized out of maybe covering your own weaknesses or paranoia or just necessity, you had to up your game. And so you sought out to do that basically, right? Yeah. I mean, that's basically yeah, I mean, the first real organized. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, and I started making lists and I started making these. I had a calendar on my desk and I had all these notes on it. And I just, you know, I, I had all these like failed attempts. One of the reasons. This is why I think I like to talk about it now is because I have literally made every mistake in the book. I've had multiple calendars. I've had multiple lists. I've had lists that go in your pocket and get washed in. You don't know what's going to happen to them because you can't read them anymore. And you name it, I've done it. But, but the first organized system I found myself into was uh, the Franklin system, the Franklin planner. Yeah, I think that's a place a and, lot of uh, people started with. That was Hiram Smith, I believe, was the guy that was behind it. It was before they merged with Covey. But I did read the Covey books back in the day, too. But I, there was a Franklin store. I live in Orange County, California. There's a Franklin store up in, uh, I think it was Costa Mesa at the time. And I would drive over there every year, and I'd buy another set of fillers. And and that really helped me because it gave me the ability to to plan forward. And like I could say, okay, I know this is going to be due in two weeks. So in one week, I would go to one week, and I'd write down, you know, write this brief or whatever it was that I needed to do. And then I, when I looked at the ceiling at night, that was one less thing on my mind. And I just started, you know, ticking off those things using the Franklin planner system. And eventually I was able to, you know, actually close my eyes and go to sleep. And I used that for years. So that was, that's how I got started on the whole productivity thing. 
So you were doing the whole empty your mental RAM thing well before David Allen even wrote or had GTD out there. Yeah, you know, I, don't you think in a lot of ways that um, productivity stuff, a lot of it's all, it's all been said. You know? I, I wholeheartedly agree. Stop listening to the show right now. No, I, I think that I think you're right. I mean, I think there's there's the basics that we cover, and yet we still all keep finding ways to talk about it. I think because people forget or just choose not to implement things, and and I well, think there's uh, there's it, evolving too. But yeah, also, I mean, well, our lives are changing, and you know now. How do you think about this stuff in the context of someone who gets a thousand emails, right. or, or you know, or just even the word context? I think David Allen's one of the, the great things about GTT that opened my eyes was planning tasks not around priorities but around context, and that's something I had never heard before. Maybe somebody else said it. I don't know, but it, it really the way he said it resonated with me. And you know, I guess I'm jumping forward at this point, but for a long time I had. A, prioritized task list and every day I went through it and quite often the next day I ended up writing many of the same things down that I had done before but I was smart enough to realize I wasn't going to, if I didn't do X, Y, and Z yesterday maybe tomorrow I'm not even going to try to do Z and I'll push Z out to next month and I would turn forward in my planner and write it down when I was going to do it and that was a very useful feature for me and I had a nice leather, I thought I was really clever I had a leather, leather binder for it and I, I had it all figured out. <laughs> and how? And what year was that? Um, that would be early nineties. Yeah, you know, probably around ninety-five or so. So and for years, know. I kept those binders. I, fi- I finally threw them away. I, I opened them. I was cleaning out one day, and I found all those binders. I was looking at, it and I looked at all the stuff that I would write down, and how much of it I actually got done that day, and it just made me sad. <laughs> <laughs> I was the ultimate optimist. Every day, I'd write down twenty things, and every day, I'd do four. <laughs> oh wow! So twenty years later. And and, it, and we've gone almost all digital. Do you do any still paper doing stuff? The same thing. <laughs> I know, I know. No, you've I, I mean, I mean, well, duh. You've, you're uh, paperless. <laughs> I should. Well, I guess I should revise that. I, I do, and for a long time, I carried these um, field notes in my pocket, and um, or, or some kind of paper, and it made sense to stop and write things down on it. But even that has kind of gone away from me because there's some new technologies. There's an app on the on the iPhone in particular called called Drafts mm-hmm. that. You just push one button and you've got a text field. And and I use the Siri dictation all the time. So I'll just dictate a note into it and then I've got it written down. And you know, once it's written down, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And writing it down digitally is even better because it doesn't get lost. I do, however, carry note cards in my pocket. Just leaning over to get them now. I bought them from, I don't know who I bought them from. It was one of our nerd friends. And they're, uh, I don't think it was Mike Vardy, but someone in that vein. And had, they made their own note cards. It might have been Aaron Mankey, but I'm not sure. But they're, they've got nice grids on them. And, and so I carry those in my pocket all the time, and I give them away. You know, When someone asks me a question, I'll write down. It could be a phone number and a name, or it could be a dialogue diagram of how I want something done, but I, I do carry those. So that's the only paper left. Is it easier to do that than to like say, here, I'm typing it down and then I'm emailing it to you yes. or texting it to you? It's it's that. Is, is it, does it have it also maybe the added benefit of it's more personal that way? Because um, it's a tangible I, thing? A, well, that is an added benefit, but I'm a, I think visually, I mean, like for instance, I constantly use mind maps and yeah. I constantly diagram things. And, and so when I sit down with somebody, I'll I can write almost any concept visually, and when I'm sharing with a person, especially like a client or a coworker, I find you know I just give it to them once I'm done explaining what I'm up to, and they can take it with them, and maybe they throw it in the trash or whatever. But 
but that works for me. And the reason I moved to the note cards is because I found that I was, um, especially as I started using drafts on the iPhone, that all I did with the field notes was I wrote something down and I tore out the page and gave it to them, which feels really great, you know, tearing out of a book. You know, it's like it's so dirty. You know, you're tearing a page out. But the um, at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to um, just use note cards. That just makes more sense for this. So I've always got a pocket full of note cards, and I'm ready to whip out my pen and, and make a diagram of something. <laughs> but uh, that largely, I'm Eric, just all digital. Yeah, I like that. I like that it's a really good exception to the rule, but that you still got do, – do you feel like – it's more secure to have everything all digital and backed up. I mean, you've, you you guys have talked. Yes, absolutely. The the podcast Mac Power Users, which I guess I haven't mentioned yet, uh, the Mac Power Users podcast that uh, you've had dedicated shows to backing up your data and and everything. So yeah, yeah, it, it's just so important because once you start depositing your life into ones and zeros, you you have to have a good backup system. But but I do, and and I found that you know writing tasks on a page in my field notes was 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 very quick, but then at the end of the day, I had to go and process that and get that into the system. So that was an extra bit of time. And the notes I would take would be scribbled, and they weren't as good as the notes I get digitally. And so it's more legible, it's easier. And with the drafts app, there's no, number one, there's no loss of time upfront. And number two, I don't have to have that extra step of translating the analog into the digital on the back end. And then you're not capturing things for yourself that way with these note cards, are you? You're still, it's more no capturing it in the moment to hand off right then and there to somebody else, right? Largely. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm on the telephone with someone, like I will use a note card for myself to take some notes and then I'll immediately capture it afterwards. Okay. But if it just depends on the context. If I'm at, if I'm at my office I, I can uh, open up a um, – there's a little app for the Mac that's called Unclutter, and it just drops down from the top of your screen, and it's got a list of files you've recently worked on. It's got a clipboard, and it's got a notes field. So I can get to that with one mouse flick, no matter where I'm at on my Mac. So if I'm on the phone with you and Eric says, well, I want to do a podcast on such and such a date and blah, 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 I'll write down some notes. I'll just type them as we're talking. And then when I'm done, I'll have a system where that goes into where I can save that information. So in that case, I would always go all digital. But if you and I are having coffee and you tell me some notes you want me to to make for doing the podcast, I'm not going to get out my phone and start typing in front of you. It just feels weird to me. And um, I want to look at you in the eye and not look at my thumbs the whole time. So I'll take out a, a notepad and scratch something down for myself in that in that instance. This is really detailed. Do you, I'm going to put your listeners to sleep. No, 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 no. This is totally up the alley of my listeners because, I mean, we've talked to people about unplugging and all that kind of stuff. I love that you're talking about this in terms of the relationship aspect of it, you know what I mean? Like the yeah. fact that this is this is where the productivity meets the you know the rubber meets the road is you're sitting down having coffee with somebody and you're not whipping out your phone and typing stuff down. You're still staying in the relationship or in the the give and take instead of checking your phone and and all that kind of stuff. So I love it. That's one of the things I really loved about the iPad because I was very hesitant to bring a laptop into a meeting with somebody because it literally builds a wall between you and the person across <laughs> yes. the table. Uh. And I've been on the other side of that wall, and I wonder, are they checking Facebook? You know, What are they doing? Whereas the iPad, you lay it on the table, and they can see that you're looking at the thing that's relevant to what you're discussing. And that's a much more intimate experience for me. 
So let's go off on a quick tangent on the iPads then because there's been okay. the whole um, – I've been following you and Jason Snell and a couple others talking about the iPad Air and the iPad Mini with Retina. And where did you land? I ended up with an iPad Air. Okay. I, 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 and the reason is, first of all, the iPad Mini is so sexy. I mean, you know, that Retina screen mm-hmm. and that little device that – you know, I was just telling Katie Floyd, I said, if I had a purse, I'd get a mini because it'd be with me all the time. But the fact is, I don't. When I want to go out and bring an iPad, it goes in my briefcase or my, my day bag or whatever. So bringing the mini or the or the, the iPad Air would, wouldn't matter to me. The bag is big enough to hold either. And And the really thing that drove me was there's some things I just do that I need the larger screen for. And... Yeah where there's some things I do where it would be much nicer to have a smaller screen. But the, the need outweighs the desire. And, like, I do a lot of work with PDFs as a lawyer. You know, we read a lot. And mm-hmm. and I annotate PDFs. And, and I tried to do it on an iPad mini first generation, and it just wasn't satisfactory. The bigger screen makes it a lot easier. Somebody asked me, they said, so iPad mini or iPad Air? And I said, both. And I yeah, said, I mean, I, 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 I'm tempted to tell you the truth. So then you've got other people that you know, like Jason. He's like reading comics, and I think he landed on the the side of the iPad Mini. And I'm curious as to why, but it, I think it really just comes down to because they're so close in terms of uh, technology. It's now like the guts are basically the same. It's just yeah, it's the great. screen size. So it's really yeah. what is it you're going to use it for? Is it is it a is it a true consumption device? I mean, I'm not going to even go the the whole route of. Uh, it, obviously, we can get work done really well on iPads, whatever size they are. It's it's more what you're comfortable with. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic? For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting 
checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash beyond. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, I think I, I told a friend, I said, what's going to make you more crazy? The, you know, carrying around the bigger device or working with the smaller screen. Yeah, that really and is where Whatever's going to make you more comes. crazy. If it's going to, if you really want to have it with you all the time and you like, if you carry a purse and you want to have it with you all the time, but you don't, you're not going to get an iPad air in your purse without carrying a much bigger purse. Well then obviously go with a mini. But if you really like watching movies and having the bigger screen, and every time you watch a movie on it, you're going to wish it was bigger, you know, mm-hmm. then go with the air. I don't know. To me, to me, it came down to really the the PDFs and, and like the mind maps and some of the stuff I do. I just I just prefer a bigger screen for that. So that's where I ended up. Yeah. But I know people that have bought both, and I am tempted. But I, I just you know, there's too many other priorities in my life right <laughs> yeah. now. But I understand why. I did keep my first generation mini though, and I still use it. So now, what are you using that for? I, you know, I kind of bang around the house with it. It's, so just, it's Wi-Fi yeah. only. So, but like even like I have, I live in Southern California, and it's it's really nice weather here for a good portion of the year. And I have a nice chair in the backyard. I have a little fish pond, and I love to go out and sit there and, and read and write and. I mean, I'll sit there and just use Siri dictation and work on the next field guide in the iPad Mini. Nice. So create it on the iPad for the iPad. Yeah. Basically, well, funny. more than the iPad now. iBat iBooks yeah. is everywhere. So, yeah. what was the instigation for the field guides? Like, what did you? Why did you decide? Okay, there's a need for these field guides, and I've got a. I'm the one to do it. I, I wrote some books for a big publisher, and that was a really good experience. And. There was a lot of things to like about it, but it was also a good learning experience. And I felt like the limitations placed on a book that's going to be put in Barnes and Noble were too the cost was too high for me. You know, like I wanted to explain how to go paperless, and I said, "Well, you get three thousand words and ten screenshots." You know, because they got to pay for every page they print, and you know, you can't make a two thousand page book. And I wanted to do better, and I wanted I wanted to share video because, like, I'll never forget. I wanted to teach people once how to do um, what they call secure disk images on the Mac. They have a built-in system where you can make a disk image that's got a password on it. So, if you want to put your tax returns on your Mac, there's a built-in system. You don't have to buy an app. You can create this this image, and it's got a password. And you drop your tax returns on it, then you lock it up, and nobody can get into that without knowing that password. Well, teaching someone how to do that with screenshots is really difficult because there's all these checkboxes and there's all these steps and considerations. So I wanted to make something that could be interactive, and the only way to do that was to do it myself. I mean, th- there was other reasons, too. Frankly, I wanted to control. I wanted to own the material. You know, I didn't want to have an intermediary between me and the audience. I wanted to be able to say whatever I wanted to. 
you know, because my voice at Max Sparky is is kind of whimsical, and you know, published authors, publishing companies aren't really excited about whimsy in technology books. Right. So I went over, and oh, also, frankly, there was a financial incentive because uh, authors of tech books don't get paid well. You know, the percentage you get isn't very good, and. And why do I need this middleman? I mean, I've got my own audience, and and you know, there was just a whole lot of reasons to do it. And then Apple came out with the iBooks Author platform, and it was like heaven sent. It was perfect for what I was doing. And I just read your article about why it made so much more sense to go with iBooks versus Amazon in terms of you know the data cost and all that kind of stuff. I, I thought oh, it was yeah. a great reason. Plus, the the Kindle really can't handle the multimedia richness that your field guides have, have done. And honestly, your field guides, if I can be flattering for a moment, those field guides are kind of a, a high standard in terms of what the iBooks platform really can be used for. I push the envelope. Let's yeah. just put it that way. I mean, yeah. you're, you're talking text, images, audio, video, links. Am I missing something? I don't know. There's the interactive images. It's just awesome. Anyway, yeah. so it's, it's it's a it, you know one of the things people don't get about those is how much work it is. I mean, it it, it is a remarkable amount of work to get the uh, the whole thing together. I mean, it's not just writing the book, but it's also doing the layout and like I'm essentially producing a feature length movie with each new book because there's about an hour and a half of video in the book. Yeah, so it's it's quite a bit of work. I I, I say that, but it's, it's a lot of fun putting it together. Oh, and then there's interviews. Now I've been doing interviews in the last few books. Yeah. How many, how how many hours of interviews are there in the new Um, book? You know, I should know the answer to that. I think it's about (laughs) two hours. It's, it's about two hours. There's eight interviewees and I think it ended up about two hours. So, which was a really fun thing to do to say, okay, well now you've heard me talk about email for an hour and a half of video and, you know, 40,000 words. Let's talk to a few others and see how they're doing it. Because email is such a weird problem. There's not one solution. So let's get into the book a little bit. What What is the email problem? I mean, why did you feel, other than maybe the fact that Merlin never did write that email book, why did you feel you had to write a book about email? Yeah, I mean, I I wish Merlin had written an email book. Oh, I, so I don't think I. it would have changed whether I wrote one or not. But the... Um, it sure would have been great to read. But either way, I, I just felt like email, I kind of hit a stumbling block myself with email. And it, it related around the success of the you know, Max Sparky world where I was getting so much email. And uh, there, you know, there's that part in me that wants to be the guy who answers the email. And, and then there's the part of me that has two kids that need my time and attention and a day job and a guy that would like to write another book someday. And I actually wrote about it in the book how um, the moment that it hit me was when my daughter was building Lego and we always build Lego together. And I said, well, let me just finish getting through this pile of email. And I did. And I looked up and she was done. And I was like, well, that was lost. You know, that was one more moment that we could have had together that we never will. And at the same moment, I got an email from a reader complaining that I hadn't responded to her email for six days. And really kind of rude. She was saying how I need to take my address off the website because I don't take email seriously because I didn't respond to her problem in six days. And I was thinking, wow, you know, I just gave up a precious moment. And these people are angry with me because I'm not doing it fast enough. And, you know, that combined with, you know, what I was seeing in my day job, I, I felt like, you know, I need help with this 
to me, that turned into a book. You know, I kind of made a journey over a course of a year exploring different email technologies. And, and I, when I started the book, I knew that there wasn't a single answer. So I wanted to write a book that kind of empowered people to make their own big boy decisions about how to deal with email. You talk about that. You talk about I mean the whole the written word and the written letter system that, you know, anybody younger than I don't know, how old are you again? I'm forty five. Okay. So, so I guess I'm old in this game. I guess you are. I'm thirty five. Yeah. And yeah. even and I even remember, you know, the whole pen pal thing and but my yeah. daughter, like that's not that's just not something that she would think to do. She's like almost she'll be nine soon. But uh although we make her do that. We kinda I don't know. We're kind of Luddite in terms of the, the way the kids do stuff other than when they use the iPad for, for fun. But uh, it, it's there, – there is something meaningful to that and I think that's the thing is people forget that uh, – like you said, the email has the word mail in it, at, which means delayed communication. And I think we've kind of forgotten that and we now expect it to be instant replies and treating paragraphs and paragraphs of written – you know, letter length uh, communication – instantly replied to within five minutes and that's just not yeah. what it's meant for and i don't know how anybody gets anything done when they start thinking that way it's just it's a massive problem and i, I think part of it is for the older generation of us the whole thought of someone sends you a letter you open your mailbox it's a special it's precious you know it's a piece of written communication and you feel like you need to respond to it and you're not going to respond and mail it out five minutes later but you feel like it's something special. And, and I think I bring that over to email a little bit. That's one of my hangups. Just because someone writes me doesn't mean I have to write them back. But part of me still wants to do that every time. You feel like it's, there's somewhat of an obligation that they, they, sent, they sent you something. And it, it wasn't just you – know, it wasn't an advertisement. It wasn't spam. Yeah. It, was, it was a real person writing a real thing. And you feel like you owe them a response. You know? Well, also they're like – especially like on the – I'm going to set aside the law stuff, but just the the geek side of my life. It's it's one of my people. It's it's someone like me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an introverted geek that's you know taking the time to reach out to me. And it's like, man, how you know how privileged is that that someone because we have some great listeners and you know doctors and just really smart people and and they want a little bit of my time. And how can I not? You know, re- respond, and and it works to a certain degree. But then, when you you're getting fifty of those a day, what's going to happen if you think you can respond to each one of those the way you'd like? Well, you're going to give up some things. You're never going to make another Lego with your daughter. You know, <laughs> you're never you're never going to write another book. You know, and then that's where the rubber meets the road for me. And and that's the thing I was struggling with through this book. And that's what I wanted the reader to come away with is that. You make judgments in the way you deal with email, and there is no single right or wrong judgment, but you need to at least be aware of the judgments you're making. Yeah. You use that uh, the never write another book, the example uh, – who was it? The guy that wrote Charlotte's Web? Is that right? Yeah, E.B. E. White. Yeah. When I read that, it's like my head exploded. That kind of blew my mind too. Yeah. The fact that he just – all the school kids were being encouraged to write letters to him and – so then he was doing the obligatory, like, okay, kids are writing me. I'm, I don't want them to think that the guy who wrote Charlotte's Web is evil, so I'll write him back. And and it's a different time then anyway. But th- that he just didn't get around to writing more books because of that. Just people people wonder, is email work? 
you know, there's there's a couple articles out there right now that I've I've yeah. read recently where um, they're they're asking the question: Is email work? Why it is or why it isn't? And I'm just like, well, if you're spending time on it instead of other things, then yeah, it's it's at least sort of work. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I agree. I I think it absolutely is something, but but it's something that you don't have to do all the work. I mean, it's something that you have to look at like a like a grown up and decide where you draw lines. Because mm-hmm. some people will abuse email to the extent that you will let them, and they will never relent. I don't know if I put this in the book or not. I've talked about this in the past. I had a case years ago where the other lawyer was one of these email nuts and he would send me these, you know, novel size emails and I would reply to him. And then 20 minutes later I would get another novel. And it was like the guy was sitting there waiting for me to reply. And if I replied, he'd immediately reply again. And these would come on Sunday afternoon at seven o'clock or any time of the day. I don't know what the guy was doing. And, um, in, in the legal profession, sometimes you have what they call conflicts where you can't continue in a case because there's a new party and it's been represented by your firm or something. But we had a conflict, so I had to step out of the case. And the new lawyer came in and I said, hey, um, be warned, this guy is an email guy. you know." <laughs> and, um, and the way I had solved the problem with him was I just started printing them out. Because even if I didn't respond, I'd still get two or three a day. And I would just print them out. And I collected them in a little manila folder on my desk. And every two or three days, I would dictate a response to him. To At that point, it would be 10 or 11 emails. And it would be a short response. But I would, And then I would, I would have my secretary put it on paper, and I'd sign it. And I'd lick a stamp, and I'd mail it to him. <laughs> and my whole idea of it was to, was to slow down the intensity of what he was trying to do. Because the guy was trying to create emergencies where they did not exist and so so i would i would mail these letters to him every few days and i know it had to make him just completely nuts but so the new lawyer came in and i told him about it and then he called me a few days ago he says dave we had like 50 email exchanges in one day and i said well that's your fault (laughs) yeah you know you know, well, if you reply. That's that's kind of a so that's an interesting thing. Like, say somebody's read your book, they've worked through like what their workflow is, and they've they, they've decided this is how I'm going to do email. How do you then kind of train others to know how or or you know to deal with your expectations of yourself? You know what I mean? Like, how do you how do you uh, evangelize them to your way of doing it, or at least deal I, with them doing it differently? I think you just do it. I mean, the more I think about this, you know, sending out a big announcement saying, hey, everybody, I check my email every day at 5 p.m., so don't expect an early response. Um, I think it's kind of douchey, you know. (laughs) Um, But I think if you just don't reply till 5 o'clock, people are going to get used to that. And there's going to be a few outliers, and you're going to get a phone call from somebody saying, hey, what's going on? In fact, I had a really funny exchange with somebody, and I put it in the book. Um, But, you know... People are going to call you and say, how come you didn't reply to my email? And, and I'll say, well, when did you send it? Well, I sent it 10 minutes ago. You know? <laughs> I'm like, well, do you think I, I might do other things than watch my email inbox all day? You know, and and I, I tell them. I, I've told this to clients. I've told it to lawyers. I've told it to judges. I check my email in the morning and sometimes at lunch and usually in the afternoon. And, and if you need to get a hold of me in a, a faster method, then I suggest you call me. 
but if every five minutes of the day I stop and check my email, I will never get another thing done. I, I think that's that's a good way to put it. Just you, you got to just do it. You know, you got to do it your way. And and I think yeah, deal, dealing with so for example, if I had a boss who I maybe want to set up a system or set up a a, a VIP notification or something just yeah, in you case, can do that. you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that's the, that's how you kind of get around it. It's like, okay, I haven't, che- I, I am not checking my email because I'm actually working or, or doing other more important work, whatever, moving projects forward, really don't want to have to keep my email open and be interrupted constantly by that. So let me get around that by if this, if these, you know, this three to five VIPs that rarely email me but when they do it's like i need to know immediately then you then you turn those on or you set those up and you have them ding you on your phone or your ipad or whatever and that's that's a very mature way to deal with it another thing is to have a conversation with those people with your boss and say look i really want to be very productive and you know if if i feel like my job's in jeopardy if i don't respond to an email that's not a good way for me to work because now I'm completely freaked out that you're going to send me an email and I'm going to be busy doing something else for you and you're going to be unhappy with me. So, you know, can we have another way of communicating urgencies? Mm-hmm. And I guess it depends. I mean, it's very easy for me to say that. And there's people out there who have jobs where they can't have that conversation or maybe everything from their boss is an urgency. In that case, you're going to have to deal with it to a certain extent. But get as much of that stuff out of your life as possible. Don't let everything become an urgency. I mean, people ask me sometimes, how do I keep a day job and still publish books and do the podcast? And the real secret to my success is, number one, is I cut out a lot of stuff in my life that is noise. And number two is I use technology to find big chunks of time where nothing will interrupt me. And that's the trick. You know, if you have three hours where you're not going to be checking email and Twitter and Facebook and whatever else distracts you, you'll be amazed how much you can get done. Yeah, focus, having that time. So part of the email problem isn't necessarily that it's emails the problem, it's that it's people. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that true with all this stuff? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's managing yourself, and it's it's trying to figure out how to quote unquote manage others, and or I should say relationships. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. So, but but people do figure that out about you. At this point, it's kind of a a joke around my friends that like, oh, Dave, he's the guy who only checks his email once in a while. He's Mister Fancy Pants, right? But they know it. And they know that if they email me, they don't expect an immediate response and they don't get all torqued off if I don't reply in five minutes because they know I'll get there. So you've trained them over time by always responding or at least usually responding, I should say. Yeah. So they know, okay, that's just how it is and and I don't need to be upset about it. I will get my answer. Yeah, and they know that if they called me and it's a period of time when I'm accepting calls because frankly there are times when I don't um, – mm-hmm then they'll get a hold of me. So I don't know. It, it works out for me. But everybody, that's the thing about email and all these things. Everybody's got different circumstances. And I don't want to be the man up on the hill saying, this is how you do it. But I do want to be the guy saying, it's a tough problem. And there's some great technologies that can help you slay the dragon. Yeah. I think it, I really like the way that the, the book's laid out is it, where you talk about the problem to begin with and then you kind of move into, you know, all right, now here's a little bit d- deeper dive into it. Here, You even go into actually some of the email technology, which I think some people 
don't even realize what the difference is between, you know, pop or IMAP and, and all those things. What no, was the I, reason for putting that in there? Because that helps, you know, if you understand how email works, then all of a sudden, you know, where some of the wires are and you can connect things yourself. And even if you're not geek inclined, I wrote it up in a way that anybody could understand it. And when you know the difference between pop and IMAP and exchange and Gmail, then all of a sudden you have this, it's like empowering. It gives you the way to figure out ways to automatically filter mail and do these things. But you wouldn't understand if you didn't understand the, you know, the basic technology of the email. So I felt like that had to be there. It's funny if you read the intro to that par- that chapter, it's like I'm begging people. I said, even though you want to skip this chapter, please don't. <laughs> It's one of those things where I I read through the book really quickly and decided, oh, there's a lot more here than I thought because I kind of wanted to skip skip ahead to – see, I said read the book. There's so much more than just reading in this book with all the the tutorials and things. And it's it's interesting to to have a book where you're kind of going through and it's like, oh, there's a video. And then to be like, oh, I can watch a video now. And it's, it's definitely the future of like textbooks. That's for sure. Yeah, I hope so. I, yeah, I really hope so. Do you have so so far in the uh, the series? And what's funny is I didn't even realize that the uh, the first one of the four was one of them because of the different cover. Uh, yeah. the 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 Mac Mac tips the Mac tips. Yeah, yeah, that was actually the second one. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we put because, it in the series because uh, it just made sense. So you know, so curiously enough, um, I'm looking at the uh, markdown and and paperless. And now email, and you've got the the blue and the gold, the green and the gold, and the red and the gold. And suddenly it hits me: Why does that seem so familiar? It's because the uh, special editions of the Lord of the Rings DVDs were those exact same colors. Oh, were they? <laughs> yeah, it kind of freaked me out. I'm like, wait a second. So the email ones the kind of Return of the King, one. and I'll have to. I'm going to grab a picture and put it in the show notes of this so you can see. The, the, yeah, I never knew that. Compared to the screenshot of that, you'll see. So. The covers are actually done uh, – I had a very clear idea of what I wanted for the cover on the first one. And Darren Rolfe, who's a uh, graphic artist in the UK, helped me kind of bring it to life. And we used that again in Markdown. And, and with the email book um, – because the first two books I started with an Apple template and kind of diverged from it. But you can still see remnants of the Apple template. And and I saw a book made with the same template and it looked so similar to my book that it made me angry. You know, I didn't want – I don't want other books to look like my books. So I decided to do my own design. And I was going to hire a guy, but then I've always been fascinated with design elements. Like I do furniture and stuff like that. And I've always worked with the green and green and the stickly. I just love the craftsman look. And I decided to start fiddling to show somebody how I would like a craftsman design book. And then I got to, I liked the the sample so much that I kept working and iterating on that. And I ended up doing the design myself, but now it's like a craftsman style. So I told Darren for the cover on this one, I wanted a craftsman border and he found a great one. So I thought that was kind of fun. Well, it looks great. Baseball. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, just the look of it and the field guy, I mean, it just makes it feel like that, you know, the, the geeky productivity, tangible stuff, you know, where people are into pens and, notebooks yeah. and all that kind of, it fits right in with that so it's perfect well, one of the benefits of the iBooks author is I can control the typography and everything especially for the landscape layout so every word and every image is exactly where I wanted it and I really obsess over it I want it to be perfect you know, I want people to have just a great experience with it so I'm glad that you, you, you caught on that 
Yeah, and, and it's really cool to see uh, Apple embrace it so much. The, the the series, like they've been promoting it, like tweeting it out and uh, oh, know, putting so it front lucky. and center in the iBooks. Like, jeez, man. I I hear you know you hear about app developer and how they feel like you know they're treated you know poorly by the system, and I've had the exact opposite experience with the iBook store. I mean, I've had I've actually met with some of them now and. They're so nice, and they care so much about making just like the best experience for users. And I, I don't know, I, I just it's a love fest. I have so much respect for what they do, and I'm so appreciative of the support they give me. Yeah, well, and I, and it helps their cause that you're creating such a you know cutting edge use uh, you know example of what you can do with their technology they created for that platform. So yeah, it's really tempting me to. I have I have a, an ebook out on Kindle, and I'm like. I really want to go the iBooks route with something. So, well, it's interesting because the people I know who publish on both tell me that you know the iBooks numbers are a fraction of what they do on Amazon. I mean, it's not clearly Amazon is the big dog in iBook in these uh, electronic books sales. But I, I've never had any interest in dealing with it. And like I, I did in that post, I, I guess we don't need to restate it here. But they they have download fees that would that would cripple me, mm-hmm. or or I'd have to give them sixty five percent of the sale. I mean, it just it doesn't it just doesn't make sense for what I'm doing. Yeah. Plus the videos and you know all the other extras yeah. aren't included per se. You can you can still give them away, but they're they're not as connected to the the document. So yeah. I wanted people to be able to get on an airplane and experience my whole book. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually a great way to do it. Take two hours while you're on a flight with an iPad and this book and just broaden your horizon in terms of what, how you can do better with email. Yeah. Leave Boston clueless and land in LA, a a wizard. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Well, let me ask you the question that I always ask or mostly ask everybody, which in terms of, you talked about getting that time and that focus and you know uninterrupted time. Uh, I ask everybody, in an ideal world, how do you start your day? Okay, so the hippie part hasn't ended. <laughs> <laughs> a meditation practice. I get up every day and do a, a mindfulness meditation, and I get up early. And I try and do a chunk of stuff in the morning. I, I guess, is David Allen the one who talked about the big rocks, or was that Covey? I forget. I think I'm sure both of them, actually. Yeah, but you know the analogy of of filling your day with the big rocks first, and whether it be something for the day job or something for a book, I love to get a couple hours in the morning, uninterrupted time to just crank on something. And even on the weekends, I do that. And my house, you know, my my wife and daughters, they may be sleeping in. I don't want to make a lot of noise. I may just take my iPad and a keyboard down to you know the Pete's Coffee and sit there for a couple hours. But I don't go there to check email or to fiddle with OmniFocus. I have something in mind, and I just do it. And just about every day I do something like that. If I were to give one tip to people, that would be it. You know, Find those two hours. If you're a night person, do it at night. If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. But, but find a couple hours where you don't spend any time on the flotsam and jetsam of life, but just find something that you're trying to create and just create it. Love it. That's great. So, David, I see our time is running down. I'd love to have you tell people where can they find you online? Yeah, the easiest place is maxsparky.com. So just go over there and all of my books are there and the podcast and 
all that stuff. So if you want to go to one place, you want to just check out the podcast, you can go to MacPowerUsers.com. I highly suggest everybody go do that. That's one of my go-to productivity podcasts. People ask me, what, what productivity podcast do you listen to? That's definitely one of them. And and if you're not a Mac person, I guess you'll still get something out of it. But if, especially if you're a Mac person, obviously because of the name, <laughs> you should check that you'd out. Be, you'd be amazed how many non-Mac people listen to our show and end up Mac people. <laughs> I get emails every day. <laughs> so if you're on the fence, definitely go check it out. Yeah, if you're you're afraid you might end up spending thousands of dollars on new Macs and you're worried about that, then definitely don't listen to our show. Well, David, thank you so much. It's been an awesome time talking with you. Well, thank you, Eric. And I'm really appreciative of you and everything you've brought to the community with this great podcast. And and I'm a listener, so thanks for, for bringing it to us. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again to David Sparks for talking with us on this episode. Make sure to grab his awesome, I hesitate to almost call it a book because it's much more than that. It's a multimedia attack on your ignorance of email. It's audio, it's video, it's text, it's it's images, it's everything. Go grab that. You can go directly to it by going to beyondthetodolist.com slash email. And make sure to go check out his site at MacSparky. That's M-A-C-Sparky.com. And say thanks to David at MacSparky on Twitter. Let him know you were grateful for what he shared on this episode. If this is your first episode, make sure to go subscribe and listen to all the other great episodes we have in the back catalog. And if you'd like to show support for the show in iTunes, you can go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes. Give us a rating or a review or both. And don't forget to go to audiobooks.com slash to-do to grab your free audiobook from audiobooks.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.